In this episode of Exploring Astrophysics, I spoke with Dr. Saeed Salimpur about his work in astrophysics, and more specifically, educating. Dr. Salimpur also told me about how high schoolers can get involved with these kind of opportunities. So, what is your background in astronomy and astrophysics? Um, my background in astronomy and astrophysics uh, is quite varied. Um, my research inclination is really towards cosmology, but I also do um, research in other aspects with terms of collaborations. So things like exoplanets, um, star clusters, double stars. Um, yeah, it varies. Often I get asked that question and because my background has been so different coming into uh, astronomy and astrophysics, um, I tend to gravitate <laughs> towards things that I'm interested in, uh, irrespective of my passion about cosmology. So if there's a research project that I find interesting, um, or I'm working with a student um, or other collaborators, I, I follow that project. What would you say are like the most interesting projects you've worked on or you're planning on working on? So I tend to work between, so my, maybe I should go back a little bit more. I'll go back a little bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, my background is in uh, visual arts, cosmology, and science education. So I've studied all of these and my PhD was focused on cosmology education. So when you talk about interesting projects, I always, I often try to work at the interface of all these three. So a project that captures all of these three, that's where I kind of tend to work. So interesting stuff, you know, for example, I was working with a student that uh, wanted to study open clusters and wanted to find planets around stars and open clusters. So that was quite interesting. You know, we managed to find the CEPI there. Um, I was working with, uh, a collaborator that we wanted to create an interface for uh, essentially visualizing cosmological data. So that was interesting, all right. Um, I was working with another collaborator and some students and they were looking at data of exoplanets that Tess had observed, the candidates, and we were trying to confirm that. So, and then I was working, uh, we got a grant to develop a display in cosmology um, for an exhibition. Um, I was working, uh, I taught high school physics uh, as a physics teacher. So in that context, you know, I had students that were coming in with little projects and one student wanted to model the Trappist system on a supercomputer. So it just mm -hmm. varies, but realistically what I enjoy working is cosmology simulations, nature of dark matter and also from the philosophical and artistic aspect of cosmology because when you get into the field there is the hard science the facts the data that you can reduce and analyze and study you know you can say you can measure distances to galaxies like the background behind me or you can figure out the the amount of dark matter in a cluster those, those are cool, they're great, they're fantastic, they refine our tool. But then you keep on asking deeper questions. The how, 
not not quite the the why also comes up, you know, but the how. You know, how does this lead to this, which leads to this, and then how does it affect society in a broader sense? You know, when you talk about arts, when you talk about education, I mean, no idea happens in a complete isolated vacuum. There are influences, and so you could be influenced by stuff in cosmology. You could work in projects that go, wow, okay, this is. This is a great project. I just want to create simulations about the universe. And that's fun, you know? I mean, you're creating supercomputer simulations. That's that's always great. You know? Universe in a box, I call it. I think you use the word art to do with cosmology. I've never heard of that before. What, what do you sort of mean by that? Well, here's my question to you. <laughs> I'm allowed to ask questions, I think. <laughs> what is your perception of art? Um, I guess art is a way of playing some like a thought process or a creative aspect in some form, whether it be physical or maybe even like electronic. Okay, okay. So when, when I when I when somebody says I'm an artist, what is the image that comes into your mind? Uh like a painter sitting on a stool. Okay, like say, okay, yeah, that's 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 given. Art is much more complex than all of the images that we have of artists painting or creating videos or photographers or musicians or performance artists um, or writers. See, when you think about art in the context of education, uh, there is art as doing, you know, you create a piece of work, whatever it is, you know, it could be a, a logo is some form of art and design, right? You're creating something tangible. But art also has a very deep philosophical dimension to it in the sense that art is about understanding the world around you in a, from a different lens. So you can study the universe from data, from observations, but you can study it from the philosophical aspect, which is the arts, the broad aspect of the arts, which covers philosophy, humanities, you know, all of those. So when we ask questions about the universe, you know, how big is the universe, right? There is some deeper influence that is allowing us to ask that question. Whether it is you look at the night, not you, but an individual looks at the night sky and sees the band of the Milky Way. You can't see that from big cities. I live in the country, so the Milky Way is like glaring down on you. You look at the Milky Way and it's beautiful. There is a certain beauty associated with it, right? The similar aspect of beauty is also seen when you talk to physicists, um, astronomers, cosmologists, when they talk about the mathematics, the physics is beautiful. I mean, Murray Gelman, the theoretical physicist, often talks about particle physics in terms of beauty. And he talks about, you know, a theory, and he, he takes it to the next level. Um, he talks about a theory is beautiful, therefore it must be right. Now, his... Um, his view is actually not wrong because I'll give you an anecdote. 
I don't know how much time we have, so I may go into anecdotes, random anecdotes, but um, there was a understanding the motion of the planets, right? Thousands of years ago, they thought that the earth was the center and everything else went around it, you know, and Ptolemy came up with epicycles and cycles on cycles and orbits on orbits. And when you looked at the diagram of the solar system, it looked quite ugly and complex. There was too many things. But the universe is actually quite simple. When you think about it, I mean, the universe's fundamental elements are particles, right? It's, it's quite simple. And so when you think about the solar system having all these orbits and stuff, but then you take the Earth out of the center and you put the sun in the center and the orbits nicely fall into place. You know, everything is so simple. You know, you have the sun in the center, bigger object, you know, planets going around it, you know, little moons going around those planets. It becomes very beautiful. And so what Murray Gelman is saying is that when we try to look at science, physics, the, the universe from a human aspect, we are humans. I mean, science is a human endeavor. It's not like there is science and then there are humans. Humans pursue knowledge. And the word science in Latin is scientia, which means knowledge. So our pursuit of knowledge is governed by our human abilities to perceive beauty, to perceive symmetry, to perceive patterns. And that allows us to ask these deep underlying questions. Because as a cosmologist, when I look at you know, data coming in, I'm looking at patterns. Patterns have a certain beauty to them. They have a certain um, rhythm to them, like music, right? And because we are programmed and learn about these, our brains can understand these patterns. I mean, we need to understand patterns, you know, back in the day when we were in the savannas, running away from lions or tigers, you had to perceive patterns. You had to be able to distinguish between a lion that's going to bite your head off and other things that won't bite your head off or a lion hiding in the savannas, right? So when we think about it in that context, cosmology becomes this, or science becomes this human thing that has art, that has beauty, but every person will perceive it differently because you may look at an image of, galaxy cluster and you may think wow that's beautiful a cosmologist looks at it and says wow looks at the science you know a normal a person who's not doesn't have a background in science and you tell them about it and there it's the awe and the wonder that allows them to ask those questions so when i speak about art and cosmology i don't think you can separate them because if you look at cosmology from the aspect of a human endeavor seeking knowledge about the universe. Art is part of us. You know, you wake up in the morning, you put a t-shirt on, you're making uh, what I call an aesthetic decision based on what you like. So you cannot say that, oh, the person is creative. I mean, when you look at it, an artist goes into a studio and asks a question or wonders or is influenced by something and creates a work 
then reflects that or tries to answer the question they had. A scientist goes into a lab or whatever it is, they have a question, they use certain tools, completely different from the artist. They have a question, they try to answer it. So they try to see the universe from their, the tools that they have from the knowledge that they have. And an artist tries to understand the world around them from the knowledge and the tools that they have. Different goals, different pathways, but ultimately it's about building knowledge, however you build it. So um, I remember uh, many years ago, uh, I gave a talk and in, in the group, I asked people about the differences between artists and scientists. And the funny thing was, the characteristics that define a scientist can also apply to an artist and the characteristics that define an artist can also apply to the scientist. The goals could be different and the tools are different. Of course they are. They have to be. They're different fields of inquiry. So that was the long version to a short question. So I guess, do you think there will be some sort of beautiful solution or answer to the mystery of dark matter and dark energy? Uh, absolutely. I think that as we start building instruments that can allow us to see further back in time, to allow us to measure things a lot more precisely and accurately, we will start going down to the level to see what is the fundamental mechanisms that operate in the universe that gives rise to this. And we'll see that Maybe some of the ideas we have now are too complex to understand the fundamental universe. Maybe the fundamental universe, it may seem complex to us, but when you figure it out, it actually is quite simple, right? From the universe's perspective, if you look at it from the universe's perspective, like this is, I did this in 14 billion years. I mean, come on people, <laughs> right? So you, you look at, you look at, the fundamental mechanisms and i think as we try to understand you know what dark matter is what dark energy is we will find that there is a certain beautiful simplicity to it that maybe we haven't we haven't as a civil as a as a species understood the deep simplicity of the universe and that's why some things are complex you know, because often simple things are the hardest to understand. I mean, you look at a piece of music, there are beautiful pieces of music that are written, classical pieces of music. And the simple ones are often the hardest to learn to play. You know, Claire de Lune, you know, Moonlight Sonata, they're actually quite difficult pieces to play. They're not simple, they sound really good. You know, a few keys are being played, but to play them properly, there's, there's beauty in it. So there's beauty and simplicity. And to understand that in the universe, I think once we understand dark matter, we will find that it's actually quite simple and beautiful. That's personal opinion. Some people would disagree with me and that's okay. So is that something you're working on? Um, I do work on small projects, but I've tended to migrate towards the education aspect and trying to bring my experience from science into the field of education um, in a way that helps students and teachers 
So teachers who want to teach these topics, students who want to learn these topics, to provide them with support and the resources that allows them to explore this. Because my view is that to understand those fundamental beauty and simplicity, you not only need to inspire people, but you also need to give them the resources that will allow them to get there. You don't want them, you don't want them recreating everything starting from scratch. You know, there's a there's a certain knowledge base that's there, and you want them to tap into the deepest part of that knowledge base. So I've moved kind of, I keep moving between the science and the education aspect. And the sole reason is that I, if you want to figure out the secrets of the universe, you've actually got to inspire, not only inspire, but give the young people the tools to be able to pursue these questions. A lot more young people. I mean, the interested ones will always be interested. They will always find the tools and the resources. They're interested in that. But there's other people that may not be interested that may have talents that they don't know about. And when they're exposed to something about the universe, they may actually be the next person that discovers something about it. You never know. So that's why my focus has been kind of shifting towards education and really bringing the science into the education. I'm sure a lot of high schoolers out there that are interested in astronomy or astrophysics. So what do you, what, do you have any advice or tips of what people like them can do to get involved in this kind of work? I think there's enough resources to get, to get them inspired, right? But then they want to do a project. So there's currently, there's a lot of projects around. There's, there's a few of them that allow students access to data that allow access, students access to research-grade instruments. I work with collaborators that we provide schools and te teachers and students time on robotic telescopes. And they can do research on that, right? And there's plenty of organizations that do that now. Like this, it's grown. I mean, in the back few decades ago, this was kind of expensive, but now, um, scientific organizations have come together and created these networks of robotic telescopes that allow students and teachers to get time and make actual observations of exoplanets, star clusters, galaxies, whatever they want. Um, and they can do something authentic in the sense that it is not a high school experiment to measure G. It is a real contribution they are making so my advice would be to seek out these uh, organizations, uh, whether or get, if, if they're in a school and they, their teacher is kind of interested, get their teacher to make contact with these organizations and do little projects. Um, and I've worked with a few high school students. One of my collaborators who I work closely with, he actually, his, main research is actually student research. So he helps students um, do astronomy research and get published. Um, but the publishing is aside, the whole process of actually, you know, booking time on a telescope, making observations, reducing the data, understanding the code that analyzes the data, now finding out patterns in those, those are the things that 
these days are accessible. And that's where I would get people, students to start is to really go after these things. They're there on the internet, there are plenty of them. Um, and because it's, it's, it allows them to do two things. One is, yes, they use research-grade instruments. That's great. But the other thing is they develop a set of skills that will be useful even if they don't go into astronomy. They will learn about, you know, how, how code works or how to write a paper. You know, writing something is a good skill to have, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, they will learn about analyzing things, so finding patterns in noise, which could be a skill anywhere. You know, you could be a data analyst for a big financial organization. And because you understand data, you can um, manipulate. You could do it in medicine, you know. And, and so being able to engage with these kind of real projects, real in the sense that you are of making actual observations, you are using the instruments astronomers use, the same instruments. You are using the same software the astronomers use. That will allow them to go beyond the YouTube video that explains what a galaxy cluster is, right? So going beyond that. Okay, uh, I think that about sums it up. I think the advice was really helpful. So thank you very much um, for speaking to Most me welcome. again. Not a problem. Uh, uh, always happy to chat about the universe and the mysteries that are within it.